Welcome to Beyond the Boardroom, where today we will be discussing our latest special report, Corporate Governance in Europe 2023, which is in association with White and Case. You can get your free copy by visiting our website and I've also provided a link in the show description on whatever app you're using. I'm Kieran Paul and today I am joined by Tom Matthews and Sonica Talani of the law firm White and Case. Tom heads up the company's European shareholder activism practice, while Sonica is a specialist in public company M&A, ECM and shareholder activism. But first, Insight's publications editor Rebecca Sherritt is here with me. We're looking at Europe again a year since our last report. It always comes round so fast. It really has. Time definitely flies when you're having fun. Well, we always try and let's do it by getting into the report. Uh, what interesting trends in European shareholder activism do we explore? Europe's quite the hotbed of activity at the moment. And the region also had a really busy 2022. So we've honestly been pretty spoiled for choice on what trends to talk about in this year's report. Both activists and institutional investors alike have been really active in the region and really pushed hard on companies to enhance their ESG commitments, as well as to look for ways to enhance shareholder value creation during a tough period of rising inflation and a lot of market uncertainty. UK and Europe-based companies saw a 67% partial success rate for campaigns for or against the merger in 2022, compared to just 35% and 49% in 2020 and 2021, respectively. Along with this, regulators in Europe have been cracking down hard on ESG, with the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, or CSRD for short mandating that issuers with upwards of 250 employees annually report on their sustainability policies and targets, including their scope 1, 2 and 3 emissions, starting in 2025. So what makes CSRD such a big deal? You could say that CSRD has come to remedy a long-standing issue, which is that there's simply too many different ESG reporting frameworks and standards circulating around at the moment. For years now, investors have been calling on companies to report on their ESG processes and policies in line with seemingly endless numbers of different frameworks, including TCFD, the International Energy Agency Guidelines, the Global Reporting Initiative, and not to mention the big names like SASB and ISSB. Whereas going forward, CSRD is set to harmonise all these guidelines and provide one consistent, comparable and transparent reporting structure that allows investors to better understand the ESG-related risks of companies and their portfolios. And of course, CSRD is super beneficial for issuers too, making it much clearer exactly what sort of ESG-related reporting is required of them going forward. CSRDs also gain the backing of investors because, as I briefly mentioned a minute ago, it explicitly states that companies must not only report on their Scope 1 and 2 emissions data, but must also report on their Scope 3 emissions derived from their value chains. That's a, that's a pretty big victory for investors then. It definitely is. 
Many shareholders have been pushing companies to disclose this Scope 3 emissions data, usually through the form of shareholder proposals, for years now. But companies have always claimed such reporting isn't really feasible. While Scope 3 emissions tracking and reporting is definitely still in its infancy, regulators are being very understanding of this and saying that reporting of this kind will take a phased approach, so companies will have some wiggle room and time to get to grips with the new requirements. And as well, social considerations are gaining traction across Europe. Why do you think this is? They really are, especially in the UK. And this is mostly due to the cost of living crisis, which was brought about by several developments, including the rise in energy prices. The very first living wage resolution in history was filed at UK grocery store chain Sainsbury's last year, with proponent share action claiming that the company was failing to adequately align employee pay with company profits. This proposal went on to win 16.7% support, which is pretty impressive, the very first proposal of its kind. And share action told us for the report that it's filed additional living wage proposals ahead of the 2023 proxy season. The cost of living crisis is also being reflected in a lot of investor voting policies, so it's definitely impacting how shareholders vote on topics like directory elections, for example. Various fund managers like Aviva and Legal in general have specified that they expect companies to take the cost of living crisis into consideration and ensure that employees are being adequately compensated. While Europe is generally considered to be a leader when it comes to ESG, data from our new ESG module, powered by Clarity AI, suggests that social topics are where public companies in the region could most stand to improve their oversight and risk management. EMEA-based companies have an average social risk score of 45.1 out of 100, while their environmental and governance risk scores are much higher, at 54.3 and 60.2 respectively. Okay, so we've heard you outline these concerns, but how do they translate when talking about executive pay? Well, the UK's depressed markets, along with persistently rising inflation, have certainly had an impact on executive pay. FTSE 350 pay hit record highs in 2022, with total CEO realised pay averaging £3 million, compared to £2.1 million and £2.6 million in 2020 and 2021, respectively. In its new voting policy, UK fund manager Aberdeen actually urged European companies to be very cautious when setting executive pay this year, saying that it's conscious of the reputational issues arising from excessive executive payouts. And the fund manager will take these issues into account when it comes to voting at shareholder meetings. And data from our voting module certainly does suggest that investors are more readily opposing European CEO payouts this year. In the first three months of 2023, the 35 say-on-pay proposals subject to a vote at FTSE 350 companies were 92.9% average support, compared to 93.5% throughout both 2020 and 2021. And we always want to know, how's the short-selling market faring? Despite the number of short campaigns experiencing a pretty consistent decline year-on-year globally, Europe has actually continued to attract plenty of short sellers. And this is likely spurred on by two things. 
local, pandemic-driven short bans coming to an end. As well as investors wishing to stay clear of the US Department of Justice's recent shorts probe, in 2022, 10 short campaigns were launched in Europe, compared to 13 and 7 in 2020 and 2021, respectively. In comparison, just six campaigns were launched at Asia-based companies last year, which is a big drop compared to the 31 launched two years prior. The European technology sector is facing the brunt of short activity at the moment, with 30% of all shorts activity in the region over the past three years centred on that specific sector. Hello, I'm Edgar Hernandez of the Service Employees International Union, and you are listening to Beyond the Boardroom from Insightia. My thanks to Rebecca there. Let's turn to the conversation I had with Tom and Sonica of White and Case. I'll press play on our chat now. Thanks for the introduction, Kieran, and it's our pleasure to be speaking with you once again as we reflect on a particularly eventful year for many investors and companies. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, good to have you as well, Sonica. Likewise, looking forward to this. So we'll start off um, here in the United Kingdom. So how has activism in the UK evolved in the past 12 months or so? Well, I think any discussion of the past 12 months needs to be viewed in the context of some very particular market conditions. And during that period, we've seen significant geopolitical uncertainty, rampant inflation and interest rate rises all of which has had a dampening effect on equity and debt markets and certainly M&A activity in many sectors. And despite those economic headwinds, we're still seeing a lot of interest in potential P2Ps. In the UK, ongoing depressed valuations are making many companies attractive takeover targets. But where those deals do proceed, we're seeing them come under increased scrutiny from shareholders, many of whom may be sceptical about whether companies are being snapped up on the cheap or who may be reluctant to crystallize their own losses. Activists have been long willing to vocally oppose takeovers and engage in bumpetrage, but many institutional and shareholders have also become increasingly willing in recent years to voice their own concerns, and we see this trend continuing. While we're on the subject of takeovers, it's particularly striking that we're seeing an increasing number of investors engaged in activism who are also willing and able to consider pursuing or indeed financing takeovers themselves. Whilst these activist investors may not deliberately set out with the intention of undertaking takeovers themselves, a takeover offer may end up being considered necessary for defensive reasons, to avoid crystallising losses in the event of a sale to a third-party bidder. Or it may occasionally come to the point that taking the company private is seen as the only remaining way to turn a company around and protect the value of the activist investment. In the past, many activist investors have had fund structures which wouldn't have allowed them to even consider launching a takeover. But we now see many activists having much more flexibility. And there's also a wider trend at play here, the ever-broadening universe of activist investors. Some of the most prominent recent campaigns, including those in the UK relating to several of the biggest members of the FTSE 100, have been undertaken by long-established activists. But there have also been many more recent entrants into the world of activism. Many new activist funds have been established in the past few years, often by alumni of other activists, but we're also seeing private equity, debt and other investment funds increasingly adopting activist techniques. One other trend that we think could become quite significant, although it's still in its early stages, is the move towards democratization of the votes held by institutional shareholders. 
By democratization, we mean the steps which some of the largest institutional shareholders have been taking to pass through voting rights to underlying investors in some of their funds. Some market participants have questioned the extent to which underlying shareholders, who are in many cases not experienced investors, will in practice be willing and actually able to perform the important role of holding companies accountable. But the trend does seem likely to become more widespread over time, and we can see it impacting proxy voting in the future, particularly on potentially contentious topics, which have the ability at times to capture the zeitgeist, such as board remuneration and ESG. And, and UK companies are also grappling with the looming threats of a recession. So how has this impacted company and investor engagement? Well, before the geopolitical and macroeconomic turbulence of the past year, we'd been seeing many campaigns pushing for M&A solutions, such as public sale processes, strategic acquisitions, restructurings and breakups. That said, the viability and attractiveness of M&A solutions and activists' appetite to push for them has been and continues to be significantly constrained by market conditions. This is especially true of M&A solutions requiring debt or equity financing, or whose success ultimately depends on potential buyers' ability to raise such financing. But there are still some M&A options which remain potentially interesting for activists in the current market, such as spin-offs and corporate migrations. And we've got no doubt that demands for other M&A solutions, which activists have largely shelved for the moment, will re-emerge as market conditions improve. Picking up on the constraints on M&A campaigns that Tom just mentioned, we're seeing renewed focus from activists on governance demands, such as pushing for board seats and strategic reviews. Companies who are struggling to grow their revenue in the current market conditions can expect to come under pressure to make cost savings, especially where their peers have publicly announced cost-cutting measures. The high-profile headcount reductions in the wide tech industry is a prime example of how this can play out. And how do you expect, then, the economic backdrop to impact investor views on remuneration for UK-listed companies? It's fair to say that remuneration never seems to become a less sensitive topic for listed companies. This is even before you take into account any cost-cutting measures that companies have implemented and the cost-of-living concerns for companies, their own workforces, and customers, and the wider public. During the pandemic, there was this widespread scrutiny of the remuneration arrangements of companies which had benefited from taxpayer support, such as furlough payments. And there are likely to be many instances over the past year of companies having received significant financial support from the government in this instance in respect to energy bills. On the flip side, there's also likely to be scrutiny of companies' remuneration arrangements, which may appear with hindsight particularly generous. For example, share schemes which used weak performance during the pandemic as a baseline, or where the company in question profited significantly from dramatic increases in energy prices resulting from the war in Ukraine. And then as well, I suppose, is ESG still a big focus for investors when engaging with UK companies? So for much of the past year, there was widespread public focus in the UK and, well, many other countries on unprecedented energy prices and the importance of short-term energy security. I mean, questions were just how much higher could prices get? Could the governments afford to continue to subsidize consumers and businesses? Would supplies of gas run out over the winter? Um, and to some extent, this seemed to, have, this seemed to have a dampening effect on some of the momentum behind environmental activism and also likely to have contributed to the rise of the so-called anti-ESG movement in the U.S. But climate change and sustainability certainly haven't gone away as topics, and more than ever, companies have to balance sensitive and competing shareholder interests. What we're also seeing is a growing move to address concerns about greenwashing, 
investors, regulators and environmental activists have become increasingly concerned that it can be all too easy for companies to dress themselves up as being conscious of environmental and social considerations without actually making a meaningful impact. Obtaining greater consistency from companies in their ESG reporting through a combination of legal changes and voluntary guidelines is intended to increase transparency and comparability. And environmental and social considerations are increasingly included within many companies' remuneration metrics and and remuneration can certainly play an important role in driving executive behaviour when it comes to these topics. That said, those metrics can be expected to come under increased scrutiny from investors. For example, are they properly aligned with the company's strategy? Are the thresholds suitably ambitious? Are they actually driving meaningful environmental and social impact and not merely tick box exercises or a form of greenwashing? And and did last year, 2022, bring forth any notable developments in the Say on Climate campaign across Europe more broadly? It certainly did. And touching briefly on a few high-profile examples of France and Germany. So taking France first, France saw a particularly prominent campaign resulting from climate-related resolutions being proposed by a group of about 11 investors, including institutional shareholders, at the 2022 AGM of Total Energies. These proposed resolutions were rejected by the company's board on the basis that the shareholders did not have the ability to dictate the strategy of the company in this area. Whether certain corporate issues, in particular resolutions regarding the company's climate strategy, should be decided by a shareholder vote rather than by the board became a subject of much debate. Unusually, the shareholders went as far as requesting that the French regulator, the AMF, intervene. The AMF ultimately declined to get involved noting that any such dispute should be a matter for the French commercial court. However, it is anticipated that in similar future scenarios, investors whose whose proposed resolutions are excluded from AGM agendas may instead seek to challenge such exclusions through a court process. Despite the decision from the AMF, the fact that investors went as far as seeking a form of legal intervention was still seen as a highly significant in the French market. It's certainly another example of how activist tactics in many markets are becoming more sophisticated and ambitious from a legal perspective, demonstrating willingness to exercise their rights as minority shareholders. And in the past, activists investing in French companies would typically have sought to minimise any regulatory interaction. So it was very interesting to see the willingness of investors to approach the AMF. And this follows public recognition by the AMF itself in recent years of the potential benefits of shareholder activism. What's more, while the AMF has reiterated that it is not looking to assume the court's responsibility for resolving any similar disputes between shareholders and companies in the future, it's recently published a statement calling on companies to strengthen shareholder dialogue in relation to environmental and climate issues. Now moving on to Germany. Germany has also recently seen some notable climate-related developments, with two of its highest-profile companies, RWE and Volkswagen, finding themselves a subject of campaigns. Taking RWE first, Encraft Capital, a shareholder with only 0.03% shareholding, demanded a vote to accelerate the spin-off of RWE's brown coal business, its most emissions-intensive unit. This type of ESG demand was unprecedented for a German company, AGM. Ultimately, both this motion and Encraft's demand for a seat on the supervisory board failed, but it was nonetheless interesting to see Encraft asserting that their proposal would not only turn RWE into a greener company, but also realize around $16 billion in value. In the case of Volkswagen, investors including Scandinavian pension funds and the Church of England Pension Board 
challenge the lack of transparency around the company's lobbying on climate rules. The investors expressed concern that whilst the company was publicly pursuing a green transition, it was also a member of several automotive and business associations, which adopted contrary stances in their lobbying activities. The company refused to include a proposal to announce the board's reporting obligations in relation to lobbying on the 2022 agenda, and investors have taken legal action to challenge that refusal. As with Total Energies, this campaign represents a high-profile example of shareholders being willing to use formal legal processes to enforce their rights. And, and finally to you both, and you touched on it earlier, did the Russian invasion in Ukraine impact investor campaigns in any way? Uh, look, the short answer is yes. M- many major companies in Europe decided to publicly terminate or wind down their Russian business activities um, as, a, as a result of the invasion. And in many cases, there were other drivers for such decisions, whether it's moral reasons, business reasons, negative publicity concerns, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But in some cases, it's likely that a desire to avoid criticism of management from activist investors may have been a motivating factor. Indeed, the German market provides a good example of what companies may have been seeking to avoid, with investors in several large blue chip companies challenging their exposure to Russia. And we can expect to see further instances during this year's AGM season, not just in Germany, but also in other countries, of investors seeking to challenge companies' decisions to continue to do business in Russia. That's it for today's episode. Uh, My thanks to our three guests. Make sure you get your free copy of our Europe report by visiting the publications page on our website or by simply clicking the link in the show description. I'm Kieran Paul. Thank you for listening and enjoy reading your free report.